Matthew chapter 15. Last week, we saw yet another encounter between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. They're getting rather interesting. Uh, Last week, they grappled over the traditions of men versus the law of God. The Pharisees questioned Jesus. They came and they said, we want to know why your apostles do not follow their traditional Jewish hand-washing rituals. Why don't they wash their hands the way they're supposed to before they eat? And rather than answering their question directly, so often as Jesus does, he follows with a question or a statement. Jesus responded by asking them, why do you disobey the commandments of God? Well, you're asking us why we disobey the rituals. You disobey the commandments of God in favor of your tradition or in favor of your rituals. Then he went on to point out an example of their, their disobedience. He pointed to their hypocritical condition that allowed them to set aside money for God and not allow it and allowed them to set it aside and declare it apart and separate for God. But it, that way they wouldn't have to spend it on their aging parents. And we talked about that last week. Uh, the point of Jesus's message was that their only relationship with, with God, their relationship with God was through their traditions. It was through their rituals. They didn't have that personal relationship. And although they acknowledged God outwardly, Jesus made the statement, your hearts are far from me. Yes, you, you're religious on the outside, but you really don't know me on the inside. And consequently, their hearts were far from the Lord, even if they appeared to have that religion on the outside. Well, Jesus continued last week and he answered their question on hand washing. He said something very profound. He said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man. In other words, you're not being defiled. You're not being separated from God because you didn't wash your hands properly. Because you ate your food without following the traditions set up by your fathers. You're being separated from God because of your sin. And that's coming out of your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's what comes out of us that shows us that we need a savior, that we have a problem with sin. It's a heart problem. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, he said. Out of the heart proceeds murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are all things which defile a man. Uh, But to eat with unwashed hands, he said, does not defile a man. Well, after this confrontation, and it was rather heated, I would imagine, after this battle back and forth, and Jesus always seems to come out on top, imagine that, but he always does. Uh, the scribes, and after this battle with the scribes and the Pharisees, we're going to pick up in verse 21 as the chapter continues. So tonight we're going to look at verse 21 down to the end of the chapter. I'm going to read a few verses, then we'll com- comment on them. So chapter, Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there, and he departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and behold... A woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Now, just to put this in perspective for you, Jesus has been operating, he's been working in the Jewish communities of the area of Galilee. When he goes over to Tyre and Sidon, it's about 50 miles away. It's towards the coast of the Mediterranean. It's about 50 miles from the area of Galilee. It's a Gentile area. Now, Mark's gospel tells us in this very same story that Jesus was trying to get away from the crowds. He goes over to these Gentile cities. Mark, Mark tells us he entered a house and he didn't want anybody to know. It, look, it would appear as though he's trying to get away, trying to seclude himself a little bit, trying to get a little bit of, perhaps as I could only think of it, downtime. You can imagine if you're Jesus and everybody you're healing, you're, you're popular, you're in demand, people want to be around you, yet he still needs to find time to recharge. But he wanted to get away. He didn't want anybody to know where he was. Well, that's impossible because he's Jesus. He's healing people. 
And while he's in this house, a woman comes to, comes to him. A woman comes. And notice that Matthew said she's a woman of Canaan. She's a Canaanite woman. Now, the Canaanites were the people that Israel drove out of the land when they crossed over the Jordan. They took over the promised land with Joshua way back in the book of Joshua. They're not really in existence at this point in time. So why would Matthew use the word Canaan? Why would he point back to this heritage of this woman? Because he wanted to show us that she's a Gentile woman. She's not Jewish. She's, she's a Gentile woman. She's from the tribe. She's from the Canaanites. They're the people that Israel drove out. And he specifically mentions this woman to show us that they were the enemies of Israel. That now here we are in Jesus, he's ministering, the enemies of Israel, the pagans that Israel was sent to judge, are now coming to the Messiah for help. They're turning to him. You'd think they would be mad at all the Jewish people because they would have been the ones that drove them out years before. But now they're coming to Jesus. And notice when she comes, she approaches Jesus as though she's Jewish. Well, how do you know that, Rob? Because she uses a Jewish phrase. Look what she says. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Why would a Canaanite woman care about the son of David? She wouldn't. You see, God had promised David a son. That son was going to be a savior and a king. He was going to be the Messiah. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah is walking in their midst. It's Jesus Christ. This woman is recognizing Jesus as the son of David. She's recognizing him as the Messiah. Isn't it amazing? This Canaanite woman with the problem. Her daughter was demon-possessed. She sees him as the Messiah. Yet the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're doubting him. They're not believing him. They're so steeped in their religious routine, in their traditions of men, they can't even see the Messiah walking before them. He's fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies that they should be looking for, but they completely miss it. When it says this Canaanite woman cried out to Jesus, it doesn't mean that she just said this one time. It means that she likely was repeating it. She was, if you will, she's making a scene. She's drawing attention to herself. She's, she's overtaken the conversation. Everyone's paying attention to her. And Jesus is doing what? Nothing. It says he didn't answer her. He's not doing anything. He appears to be ignoring her in a sense. And at first glance, you might even think, well, wait a minute, Jesus, that's kind of rude. You're not being very compassionate. She's pouring out her heart. And there you sit in silence. I don't know about you, but I've had this very same type of experience with the Lord. No, not face to face like she is, but haven't you ever gone to the Lord in prayer? I think, are you there, Lord? Are you hearing me? I feel like you're ignoring me. Are, are you even listening to what I'm saying? I'm not getting any answers. I'm not sure. I've been troubled. I've been grieved. I've been burned. And it seems like Jesus, I'm not getting back from him. He's sitting in silence, it seems like. Can I assure you, Jesus is not ignoring her. He's waiting for her true faith to come out. He's waiting to see how he, she responds. Isn't that the way it happens with us? We pray to Jesus, and when it seems nothing happens, what do we do so often, so quickly? Ah, he's not listening. I'm giving up. I'm out of here. I tried that Jesus thing. I prayed to him. I waited five minutes. I heard nothing. I waited three minutes, I waited an hour, I waited a day, whatever, I heard nothing, I'm out of here, I've had enough, he's ignoring me. You see what he's doing, he's waiting 
for you to show yourself your true heart about him. You see what that would just show? If I was to live out that scenario where I said, all right, Jesus, I prayed, you didn't answer, I'm out of here. Doesn't that reveal my true faith? It reveals who I, where, where my faith really is. It really isn't in Christ, it's just in, well, I thought he might be the next thing. I thought he might be the one to help me. He didn't work, all right, let me go to the next place or the next thing or the next object or whatever I think might help us. He's not ignoring her, he's just waiting for her faith to come out. How much silence from the Lord will it take to destroy your faith? How long would you wait? Lord, I'm having a hard time here. He says, all right, I'm, I'm not going to say anything yet. I want you to keep coming to me. I want to see how long you'll keep coming to me. I want to see if you'll continue. I, I want to see what this relationship is made of. You know, the truth is he already knows what it's made of. He's trying to show you what it's made of. The quicker you walk away, then you're really revealing to yourself that you really don't trust him at all. You really don't even believe that he's there for you. Well, it might have appeared as though Jesus was ignoring him, but the disciples certainly weren't ignoring her. They said to Jesus, send her away, for she cries out after us. That's the polite way of saying, she's annoying. Get rid of her. We're tired of hearing her whine. Would you just, would you just do it? Fix the problem already. In other words, the way that this is actually written in the Greek, they could have been saying, and it's likely they were saying, give her what she wants. Come on, Lord, just give her what she wants. Let us get out of here. Let, let her go so we can have this downtime and relax. Just, just give her what she needs so we can have peace and quiet. Remember, this woman is likely repeating her initial phrase. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. They're getting irritated by it. Come on, Jesus, just give her what she wants. Have you ever wondered... As this woman is before the Lord, she's just crying out, repeating the same phrase. Have you ever wondered, is it okay to repeat certain prayer requests? Is it okay to keep going to the Lord for the same thing over and over and over? Or, or should we just say it once and, and in faith be done with it? Is it okay to keep going over and over and over? Or should I just say it one time? And, well, I'm just going to leave it in his hands. That would be the more spiritual thing to do. I disagree. I believe the essence of true faith is persistence and endurance. You see, if you have the problem and you really believe he has the solution, you're going to bug him about it. Not in an ungodly way. Not in an irreverent way or an unreverent way. In a very reverent way. In a very way, he's got something. You need help. And you know he's the only one that can help you. You're going to go to him over and over again. Even if Jesus is silent... You're going to keep praying, keep worshiping, keep seeking him, keep praying, keep going. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus told a parable about a man who knocked on his neighbor's door, woke him up in the middle of the night. Why? Because he needed some bread, needed some food. What, why did the man finally get up and feed him? Because of his persistence. What was Jesus teaching us in that parable? That they're teaching us to be persistent in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. There's absolutely nothing wrong with going to the Lord over and over and over again for the same thing. How many times do you pray for the person that you know that you're the loved one that's unsaved as much as you can? How many times do you pray for a healing if you're sick as much as you can? If, if you need to, that you, you don't, don't, be, don't be afraid to go over to the Lord over. Now, don't tell him what to do, but go to him in a way where you realize you want his will. You're willing to accept what he tells you what he provides for you, but at the same time, you're going, Lord, this is, this is what I need from you. Sometimes we've got to put our pride aside 
and keep knocking on God's door. We have to keep going. For everyone who asks, and that word, you've heard the verse, for everyone who asks, receives, he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. It, it, it's better translated, for everyone who asks or literally keeps on asking. The verb tense there is keeps on asking, keeps on seeking, keeps on knocking, keeps you going back to him. Because the truth is, if I just ask him once and then I walk away, what am I really saying? It's not very important to me, is it? Um, no, I'm being super spiritual by putting it in your hands and never thinking about it again. And it's not really important to you. Because I can tell you the loved ones in my life that aren't saved, I pray for them all the time. Over and over and over again. And oftentimes it's the same quick prayer. And there's nothing wrong with that. True faith in Jesus is a desperate dependence on Jesus. He has the solution to everything that I need. I'm not just going away. That's what he's looking for here. It puts pride on the shelf and your need becomes greater than your pride. That's when prayers continue, even in the silence. Even when you don't hear him responding back or when he doesn't respond the way that you want him to or the way that you think he should. You see, this woman was no doubt passionately repeating this request. She was a mother whose daughter was demon-possessed. And she wasn't giving up because she believed he held the ability to heal her. Finally, Jesus speaks in verse 24. He answered and said, remember the, the disciples had already said, go ahead, Lord, do it. And in verse 24, he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, that doesn't seem like an answer that we would expect to hear there. And it's likely that it's not even directed towards her. It's likely that the apostles are saying, just take care of her, Lord, give her what she wants. Jesus turns away from the woman, and in my mind, he's looking at the apostles, and he says, I wasn't sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They wanted her to go away. Jesus is telling them, I wasn't sent to the Gentiles. I was sent to the Jews. I, I'm, I'm Hebrew. I was sent to the Jews. I wasn't sent to the Gentiles. We're in a Gentile city. I was sent to the house of Israel. If you had been this woman... And that was your conversation with the Lord. What would you have done at that point? Put yourself in her spot. Lord, have mercy on me. And then he turns without answering and looks at someone else and said, I wasn't sent to the, to, the, to the Gentiles. I was sent to the house of Israel. If that were me, and it would seemingly somebody said that to me, I think I would walk out. If you're not willing to give me the respect to look at me and talk to me and answer my question, I think I would be offended by that. But you see, this woman's got faith. And she understands the Lord is the only one that can help her. When you have those moments in life, what do you do? You see, here she is. Obviously overhearing this answer, perhaps even being right there in the midst of it. Instead of being offended and walking out, what does she do? This is an amazing verse. Verse 25. Look what it says. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. He just said, I wasn't sent to the Gentiles. I was sent to the house of Israel. She could have walked away when Jesus didn't respond to her at all. Instead, what does she do? She presses closer in worship. Rather than get offended because he's not answering her, Rather than get offended because she's not getting the answer she thinks, she presses 
closer in worship and she continues to pray. She continues to speak to him. When you have those moments in life where it seems Jesus is not answering, how do you respond? How will you respond? Will you find yourself frustrated? Frustration, exasperation, accusations? I guess Jesus doesn't really care about me. I guess you're not even going to answer me, Lord. Do you just get up and walk out? I want you to follow her example. I want you to follow. She came and worshipped him, and then she prayed. She said, Lord, help me. No fancy words, no long prayers, just the simple words, Lord, help me. I noticed something else. She wasn't the one who was demon-possessed. Yet her prayer is, Lord, help me. Not, Lord, help my daughter. Lord, help me. There's a key to intercessory prayer there. You see, she's bearing the burden of her daughter before the Lord. She's praying on behalf of her daughter. I want you to come cast this demon out of my daughter. But she's saying, Lord, help me. She's bearing that burden. It's the secret to intercessory prayer. When we intercede on behalf of others, their need should become our need. Do you see the difference there? It's one thing to say, well, I'm going to pray for you and your need. But when there's a true connection like a mother and a daughter there, that daughter's need becomes that mother's need. I need you, Lord. She needs you, and because she needs you, I need you. What a burden it places on mom's hearts. And I love, I love that little prayer. Lord, I need you. Do you know how many times we should pray that every day? Charles Spurgeon said this about this simple little prayer. He said, I commend this prayer to you because it is such a handy prayer. You can use it when you are in a hurry. You can use it when you are in a, in a fright or scared. You can use it when you don't have time to bow your knee. You can use it in the pulpit if you are going to preach. Lord, help me. You can use it when you are opening your shop. You can use it when you are rising in the morning. It is such a handy prayer that I hardly know any position in which you could not pray, Lord, help me. But we need to use that more. Tomorrow, try it. When you wake up, before you go to work, when, before, before a phone call that's got you nervous, Lord, help me. Lord, I need your help. Lord, will you help me in this? What a great little prayer. I wonder how much we've missed out on his help because we haven't asked for it. Because he's saying, I'd love to come help you. And you go, well, but I'm, Lord, homeschooling moms, Lord, help me. You need help. Dads, if you're going to lead your family spiritually, Lord, help me. If you're going to work tomorrow, you're going to need help from the Lord. Lord, help me. It doesn't matter what we're doing. You know, she couldn't help that she was a Gentile. She was born that way. She couldn't help the fact that she wasn't a Jew. Those, those parts of her life were out of her control. But what she could help, what she could do, was worship and pray. And nothing was going to drive her away from the Lord. Lord, help me. And it says that she worshiped, worshiped. When it appears that Jesus is silent and not answering you, would you please continue to worship and pray? Don't point your finger. Don't blame him. Don't say, where are you? Just press in closer because he's just delaying his answer so that you can see where your faith is really at. That's pretty profound when you consider it because how many times have we done that? Lord, where are you? Lord, I'm doing something for you and you need to be doing something for me. Lord, I did this good thing. I went to church twice last month. How come I'm sick today? 
We start making these deals like all of a sudden we're, 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 the, you know, we, we're the one that get to call the shots. When we should be the one saying, Lord, help me. Lord, I need your help. Look how Jesus responds. You think that he broke right there, but he doesn't. Look at verse 26. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. If she didn't walk out before, she probably should have, for all practical purposes, walked out now. He just called her a little dog. It's not good to take the children's bread. The children of the people of Israel, the Gentiles, were referred to as the Jews by dogs. He said it a little nicer because he called her a little dog, not a big dog. And the, the language there refers to, a, a, they didn't keep dogs as pets, but kind of a small sort of house dog rather than a, than a big like junkyard dog or something like that. So he called her a nice little dog instead of a big dog. Either way, he's saying this, you would never take food off your table out of your children's mouth to feed your dog. You'd never do that. I'm here for the Jewish people. You're a Gentile. I'm not here for you. I can't take from them and give to you. Now it's true that Jesus had healed Gentiles before. But listen to the way the woman responds. Look at her persistency and look at her faith there in verse 27. She says, and she said, yes, Lord. Yet even little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. I love her persistence. It declares her faith. Yes, Lord, I know the Jews come first. But can't we Gentiles, can't we get the crumbs that slip through the cracks? Can't we have just a little bit? Will you give us just a little bit? All she wants is a crumb. Check out that faith. To an infinite, almighty, awesome God, and that's who she believed Jesus to be, her little girl's deliverance was a mere crumb. All I need is a crumb. All, just, just give me a crumb, Lord. I just need a little bit of you. I just need a little bit. Look how he responds. Verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. He's saying it to her. He's not saying it to the crowd. When he talked about the centurion's faith, he said it to the crowd. This is the woman. He's saying it directly to her. O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. From that very hour. In the beginning of this story, this woman comes to Jesus pretending like she's Jewish using a Jewish phrase. She was pretending to be something she's not. Her faith, in a sense, may have been a borrowed faith. And Jesus kept silent. He didn't say a word. Then he addressed the apostles instead of her. He seemed to be ignoring her. Why? Because he's drawing out her true faith. He wants to put it on display. Is her faith real? Will she be swayed by the silence of the Lord? Does she really believe Jesus can heal her daughter, or is she just trying the next thing in her life? I think the answer to that question is clear by the whole story. She knew that he could heal her. She believed and she was not being let, pushed out of that room. And she was not walking away. After Jesus coaxed out her real faith, she worshipped. You know what? She admitted it. I'm nothing but a little dog. Even the little dogs get a crumbs once in a while. So just give me a crumb. She had no right or inheritance in those things uh, that were Jewish. She, I, it's not my, I can't get that. It's not my fault. It's like she said, I'm just a puppy begging under the table. I just want a little bit. Can I have just a little bit? But she believed that that crumb from the Lord, that word from the Lord was powerful enough to set her daughter free. And you know what? She was right. Jesus acknowledged her great faith and he answered her prayers. 
the next time Jesus is silent to you in your prayers. Or it seems like you're not hearing back or you're not hearing from him the way you think you should. Maybe he's trying to draw out a deeper, more authentic faith in you. Maybe he's trying to show you what your faith is really in. Will you walk away and try the next best thing? Or do you realize he's the only one that can help me? Nobody else can do what he can do in my life. Nobody else has the power that he has in my life. I'm not leaving. You see, that was the faith that was drawn out of this woman. And I can't help but wonder if this woman was the only reason he traveled the 50 miles to get there. We don't know. We're not sure. Maybe there was other appointments, but what we do know, this woman certainly was an appointment. Look at verse 29. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there, probably looking for some peace and quiet again. Verse 30, Then a great multitude came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now this gets really cool. In the previous story that we just looked at, he said, I'm sent to the house of Israel. I'm not, I'm not sent to the Gentiles. But yet here in this, what we just read, by the fact that it says they glorified the God of Israel, It suggests it's not a Jewish crowd, but a Gentile crowd that's gathering to him. Or at the very least, a mixed crowd. I think it's safe to say that what we just read, these great multitudes, Gentile multitudes that came, they had the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others laid down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Oh, they got more than a crumb, didn't they? He's ministering among the Gentiles now. And by the way, that Greek word for maimed, it suggests that possibly it was people who had been missing a limb or had a limb that was inoperable and Jesus was restoring their limb back to, back to normal, back to normal function again. This also marks a unique period in the ministry of Jesus because for the first time since we've seen and been studying, Jesus is healing and ministering in a predominantly Gentile region of the country. You see, he came around the Sea of Galilee. When you look at this along with Mark chapter 7, we see it happened on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's the region known as the Decapolis. It's the eastern side of the sea. It's where the Decapolis was. It's a Gentile city. During our trip to Israel, we visited a city called Beit Shean. It's the only city of the Decapolis that's on the western side of the Galilee, but it's still part of the Decapolis It was the leading city of the Decapolis. But this region, the Decapolis, Deca means 10. It was made up of 10 predominantly large cities. The Decapolis was filled with temples to false gods and idols. There were Roman bathhouses and theaters. They were full of pagan pleasures and pagan opulence. And Jesus is here on the west side of the the Sea of Galilee ministering to the Gentile people. This healing that's been taken on that we just read there in verses 29 through 31. We read it real quickly. We read over those three verses there real quickly. Four verses, whatever it is. But I want you to know it lasted three days. 
For three days, he sat on the mountain healing people that were brought to him. Look at verse 32. Now, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me. How many days? Three days. And have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Three days he's been healing these people. In verse 33, his disciples said to him, well, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Where could we find enough food to, to feed them? We don't have the money. Jesus said to him, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few little fish. We've heard this story before, haven't we? It was just the last chapter. Look at verse 35. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and he gave thanks. He broke them. He gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate, and they were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men. Last time it was 5,000. Besides women and children. And he sent away the multitudes. Got in the boat and came to the region of Magdala. This is another miracle of multiplication. Jesus takes what little is available and he multiplies it. He turns our meagerness into more than enough. I believe this is probably one of the most common miracles that happen in our lives on a daily basis that we never ever recognize. We never see it. Just like the disciples, they, 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 they're, 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 their question to him was, we don't have enough food. Did, where, where were they just a few, in, in chapter 14 when he fed 5,000 people? 4,000 should be easy. We're 1,000 short, not to mention women and children. We got, you got this, Lord. But their answer is, we don't have enough food. You see, I believe Jesus performs miracles like this all the time in our lives. I believe he keeps your car running a little bit longer when he knows you can't afford to get it fixed. I believe he keeps your hot water heater lasting just a little bit longer so it doesn't blow up and destroy the whole floor in the house. I believe he has a way of multiplying what we have, making our food go a little bit longer if things are a little bit tight. He has a way of doing that miraculously. And yet I also think it's something we never give him credit for. We never think of it that way. We don't think about our hot water heater until what? Until it's leaking and we have to call a plumber or get it fixed. We don't think about our car. When's the last time you said, Lord, thank you for keeping this car running? When's the, thank you for keeping this tree from falling on this roof of my house. When's the last time we just took those things for granted that he's holding up that supernaturally? We just thought, oh, that's just the way it is. That's just life. You see, I believe Jesus' hand is so worked in, intricate, in, intricately involved in our life, we miss that so often. And we question him very quickly, Lord, are you even there? And I wonder if we could really see how involved he is in our life. I wonder if we could just get a glimpse on, on a one-day basis what Jesus does to direct our paths. And yet all we do is find ourselves, many, not all, maybe many times just complaining. But wait a minute. If Jesus just fed 5,000 people back in chapter 14, which he did, why didn't the apostles remember that? Well, don't you quickly forget what Jesus did for you? Isn't is in the face of a new trial, do you go back and go, I remember when the Lord did this and this? No, you go, Lord, where are you? Lord, help me, I need help here. That's likely what happened. Some people have suggested that this is Matthew simply repeating the previous story. That he didn't really multiply the loaves and fishes twice, he really just did it once. 
And, and Matthew might just be a little bit confused, and he's just repeating the same story. Maybe he stopped writing one day and picked up another day and forgot where he left off, or there's been all kinds of accusations like this. But I want you to notice the differences. In chapter 14, 5,000 men were fed in Bethsaida. It was a Jewish territory, and Jesus did it with five loaves. In chapter 15, 4,000 men were fed in the Decapolis area. It's a Gentile it's a Gentile territory, and Jesus did it with seven loaves. In chapter 14, there were 12 baskets left over, and here there are seven baskets left over. Well, isn't it possible maybe Matthew made this mistake? I'm going to give you a quick little glimpse. In Matthew chapter 16, which is the next chapter, Jesus is going to ask his disciples this, and I'm going to quote it for you. He's going to say, Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000? and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many baskets you took up. If Jesus repeats both miracles as being different, I'm okay with that. He, I don't think he would have got it confused, even if you might think Matthew got it confused. So before you're too hard on the apostles, because sometimes we tend to be, you know, before we say to them, how come you didn't remember the last one? It's just a chapter ago. So what if it was a week ago? I think that if I got to watch 5,000 people, or perhaps as many as almost 20,000 with women and children, get fed with five loaves and two fishes, that'd be memorable, don't you? How come you can't remember it? <sighs> we can be hard on them sometimes. But remember this. At Bethsaida, the hungry multitude, they consisted of law-abiding Jews. They were Jewish people. Here the crowd is made up of Gentiles, non-Jewish people. I don't think the question for the disciples was not, not could Jesus bless the crowd with food. I think it was more of would he do something like that? After all, he just told them, I came for the house of Israel, not for the Gentiles. Yet he had just demonstrated by spending three days healing Gentiles, by, living, by spending in this, this time in the Gentile land, by feeding the Gentiles the same way he fed the Jewish people, that he came for both. That he died for Jews and Gentiles. Would Jesus bless the Gentiles the same way he blessed the Jews? The answer is yes. Absolutely he would. But this is the same thing that happens in our very own life. Sometimes we believe we wonder, can Jesus really bless me? Will Jesus really bless me? You know, I haven't really done what I was supposed to do. I've made a few mistakes. I haven't lived up to his expectations. I, I, I haven't been the husband that, or the wife that I was supposed to be. I haven't, I failed. And, and I failed over and over and over again. Could Jesus really bless me you see what you're not asking what you're asking is yeah you know that he can bless you that what you're asking is will he bless me does he still want to bless me the answer is yes jesus's blessings are not the result of our merit but the result of his mercy and i'm not just talking about financial blessings here i'm not talking about health and wealth i'm talking about spiritual blessings salvation yes he will bless you it's out of his mercy I have been blessed in spite of my failures. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been blessed in spite of your failures. Aren't you glad that his blessing doesn't depend upon you? That his mercy doesn't depend upon If you do that one more time, you are out of grace. That's it. 
you got one more grace, one more grace card, that's it, it's done. He says, no, it doesn't depend upon me. It's all in his mercy. That's what makes his love for us so amazing. Sometimes I feel as though I'm completely unblessable. You ever been there? I think I just made that word up. I don't even think that's a real word, is it? Unblessable. But sometimes I feel that way. Yet, what I find is the Lord still blesses me. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. What a blessing that is. Here's the main point. It doesn't matter if you're a Jewish person or you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter where you live, whether it's in Bethsaida or the Decapolis. If you come humbly to Jesus by faith, he will pour out mercy and blessing upon you. But we have to come to him like this woman came to him. Her faith was a true faith. That when he appeared to be quiet and not answering, she didn't turn around and walk away and get offended and go, I tried that. When he said what he said to her about coming for the house of Israel, she said, I can't control that. I might be a dog, but even the dogs get a little crumbs once in a while. Can I have a crumb? I want what you're willing to give me. Whatever you're willing to give me, I want it. And when he seemed to be ignoring her in the silence, was perhaps deafening. What did she do? She worshipped and she prayed. It says she fell down and she worshipped at his feet. And she prayed. What was her prayer? I love it. Lord, help me. The next time you find yourself before the Lord and you don't know what to pray, just pray, Lord, help me. The next time you find yourself saying, Lord, I'm not hearing from you, instead of walking away, Instead of pointing or shaking your finger at him, would I encourage you to fall down and worship and continue to pray? Because that very moment in his silence will show you where your true faith is really at. Will you stay and you realize he's the only one that can help me? He's the only one that can save me. He's the only one willing to bless me in spite of me. Or do we walk away and go for the next best thing? You see, all of our problems, all of our things in life, I believe are handled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you need can be found in him and in his word. Nothing else, everything, all of the directions you need. We used to be part of a church and they would do three counselings for marriage counselling. If you, if you called up and said, hey, I need marriage counselling, they gave you three. And I, I questioned, why, why do you only get three? What if you need more than three? And their answer was this, I can tell you everything the Bible says about marriage in three sessions. You have to make the choice, are you going to live it or not? Because for me to repeat it means nothing. The Bible has everything we need about marriage, about living single, about how we treat our parents, how we treat our kids, has all of it there covered. The only question remains is, will you follow it? And I would encourage you that as we study through God's word together, as the Lord convicts you, as he challenges you, that you respond to that Holy Spirit in your life. That you don't just push it out don't see it as my suggestions or my ideas. When you see that woman, press closer and pray. Maybe that's where some of you are tonight. Maybe you need to press closer and pray and you're tempted to walk away. How will you respond? That'll tell you where your faith is. May you press closer and pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truths that it unwraps into our life. Lord, where 
Our lives are filled with psychology and psychiatry and popular culture and so many different blogs and Facebook posts and newspaper articles and all this stuff that tells us how we should do things. Yet all too often we neglect your word. Your word tells us how we should do things too. Lord, may your word truly be a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. May we truly find what we need in there. May you lead us through the power of the Holy Spirit exactly to the passages we need. And Lord, if we're sitting in a moment of silence where we're not hearing from you, may we not pull back, may we press closer, may we draw in, may we pray, Lord, I need you. I need your help with this in my life. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to help me be a better husband, a better wife, a better mom, a better dad, a better student, a better kid, whatever. Lord, I need you. We need you. Lord, may we never move away from that place. May the traditions of man, may a church never take the place of our relationship with you. Lead us in all of your ways. May we hold your word high and walk according to it. In Jesus' name, amen.